Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Get French Football News show. Today, we're transitioning to a slightly new format of structure. structure. So you will notice some things are different. We'll start, as always, with the best and most exciting football from the weekend. Uh, in this case, Lyon and Marseille both kicked off their Ligue 1 campaigns with a win. Uh, there was a hat-trick from Memphis Depay for OL and a classic Florian Thauvin beauty for OM. Uh, in part two, we'll talk about the best football team in France, in Europe even. Uh, it's the other Lyon team that just won their fifth consecutive Women's Champions League. There will be some more fun news as well from the weekend. And we'll also do a, a profile on Jonathan Bamba of Lille. Finally, in part three, we will talk about the new domestic TV deal for Ligue 1 and how it will affect clubs as well as fans in France and abroad. I'm your host, Pierre-Paul Birmingham. Uh, here tonight is Philippe Bargel. Hi, Philippe. Hi, good evening. Uh, also with us, Kale Stockwell. Hi, Pierre-Paul. Thanks for having me. Good to have you on, as always. And uh, finally, Mohamed Ali. Hello, everyone. So, Mo, uh, am I right to say that you and other Marseille fans um, have had to wait longer than anyone else to see their team play? Yes. Um, also, probably because, obviously, <laughs> not being involved in most of the August friendlies because of coronavirus, um, but also being, I think, if I'm correct, the first team to play in the last round in March. That was 177 days ago. So it does feel like a really, really, really long time. Um, Obviously, you know, events through you no know, fault of our own has transpired, but um, you know, really good to see them back yesterday. Yeah, interesting that you made the same calculation as me. It sounds like um, so. Uh, the match was the Sunday evening game against Brest, a three-two win for OM, and and one man actually Mo has waited even longer than you uh, have waited. You know, he's been waiting to play and even longer to score for OM, and that's Florian Tovin who scored the first goal. Uh, what's it like to see him back? Um, excellent, I thought, because um, obviously we missed him quite a bit last year. Um, you know, I feel like he's he's really left off. Maybe um, he started from where he left off uh, back in uh, May 2019, which was, uh, I think, his last goal uh, for, for OM. And, you know, the same sort of style of play, the same cutting in off the left, showing defenders on the wrong side. Um, he looked almost, you know, I know it's cliche to say, but like a new signing. Um, and I think you've seen instances of last season where we've discussed on on this uh, on this show where you know OM have looked very very rigid without Payet in the team, but it looks like you know with Payet's absence, um, Tovan is more than enough to do the job, especially when players like um, Radonjic um, and and others can't really be be trusted to provide some attacking impetus in the final third. Um, so it, it really does feel like a new birth in the squad, and I can't wait uh, for Payet and uh, Tolvan to play with each other. Obviously, Payet, obviously Payet was out um, with uh, on quarantine because of a positive test of coronavirus. A few other Marseille players were, were uh, affected by that too. Um, Kale, I think I know you thought this was a, a very good match. Yeah, I thought this was a fantastic match. Especially the the first half and then the first you know twenty thirty minutes of the second half were just like breasts looked like they were shot out of a cannon. They looked so ready to go. What what did they do specifically? Oh, I I I thought I was surprised by how hard they uh, they pressed OM. To be honest, I thought they they pressed them. It, their pressing wasn't perfect. I think it sort of broke down in moments, and that's why uh, Marseille were able to kind of play a couple long balls to Tovin on the wing and get in behind them sort of quickly and maybe too easily. But uh, they had a lot of energy. They pressed them really high. They had an extremely high line, which I was kind of surprised to see. And and I, I thought they held their own with Marseille for most of the match. And I mean, it was a fantastic game. I, I don't think you can blame Marseille for, for winning. Uh, they won 3-2 in the end, but I thought Brest probably deserved a point given how well they play. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Phil, do you think Brest can, can cause problems to other big sides this season? Because I think last week they lost 4-0, right, to, nice, uh, to Nîmes? Yeah, on the on the opening day. I uh, second the, um, what uh, what Kel was saying. Uh, it's uh, it's they, they look extremely enthusiastic for the side that just got beat 4-0 in the opening game at, uh, at Nîmes. They looked extremely 
enthusiastic and uh, getting getting the ball forward. Honora uh, Cardo, Cardona, I think it is, and Charbonnier all looked, you know, raring to go. And even after that uh, opening opening goal from Tovar, the shot was deflected. Um, maybe the goalkeeper would have would have saved it had it not been deflected. Then you have this offside call, VAR for once doing its job. But they still they still kept going, even even though I thought Marseille could have defended better. It's still a new centre back pairing, Ballardi, who came on loan from Borussia Dortmund, uh, uh, who was paired with um, Kelly Tachar, who scored uh, actually who actually scored a brace. And I thought the actually the forward lines weren't that inspired, but that the the uh, the defend the defending, uh, especially from Marseille when they came forward was quite uh, actually quite threatening. As Mo said, uh, Radonjic not great uh, with the uh, with the impetus, and um, you do have to ask yourself some questions about Brest defending. I didn't, uh, I don't really uh, actually remember the, the goals Brest conceded at Nîmes on the opening day, but uh, they still it's still two goals uh, conceded from uh, from set pieces. So that's a worry, especially in in France. So yeah, I mean Brest. Brest West are bottom. They've got they've got loads and loads of talents. But I, I actually thought that the game could have been less uh, tight than, than it was. Without uh, Charbonnier's goal in the in the 89th minutes, it would have been um, it would have been three one. And I, I actually thought Marseille won top of, of it for most of the for most of the game. Not saying they didn't have a bad game. The Belkebla, uh, Fev, they they were they were fine. But uh, thought Marseille had it. You know they they got that. They they got it covered. Not from start to finish, but uh, I would say from 20th minutes until the end, they they look quite comfortable. It was, I mean, it was good. It was a it was a nice uh, nice advert for 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 Liga for the uh, not the opening opening weekend, but uh, where most teams played. You know, one game didn't uh, didn't take place. We'll probably talk about this later. <laughs> uh, but it was uh, yeah, it was entertaining. And uh, I'd like to hear actually uh, most thoughts about uh, the new signing. Well, new signing, the loan signing. Uh, Balerdi. Yeah, no. Um, in terms of Balerdi, I, I think the jury's still out on that one. I, I, I quite like his profile. Um, you know, the ball playing defender, and I think having a sort of a young centre back pairing, sort of a triangle, uh, Chaleta Sar, Balerdi, and Kamara, would be mm. very, very interesting. But I found him a bit too. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you know, a bit too lean for 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 the rigors of the defending in Ligue 1, which can be quite potent. I, I thought he was a bit. Um, I don't know what the word to to, to use uh, here is. Um, I don't know, just just a bit unaccustomed. I think the jury's still out. I think he he has to sort of adjust himself really to the physicality um, and sort of really get in amongst the challenges. I mean, there's a couple of times where he he was perhaps not satisfactory with the ball um, and and in his clearances and challenges. But um, and I think he was at fault for one of the breast goals as well. Um, but you know it's his first game, um, and I think it only because of circumstance. Um, obviously, Alvaro uh, Gonzalez is also positive, and and I think it wasn't until clear until like yesterday afternoon that Balerdi would in fact start when everyone assumed that Camara would would come in um, as the sort of natural for Alvaro. But um, the jury's still out. Um, just to bookend. Um, Sort of what what uh, Kale and uh, Philippe have said as well. I thought yesterday was a fantastic game. I think you guys, especially uh, Pierre Paul and Philippe, will know how much I've railed on about um, opponents who play at OM who just sort of sit back and as as a tactic to, to win a point. But I I really enjoy uh, teams who who go out and attack and you know just go for, towards a, sort of a free for all um, and and aim. Um, to get points that way by playing their brand of football, by re- throwing caution to the wind as well, because I don't think uh, it's, it's it's not really a good look for for the league's profile when you know the likes of uh, Brest and Angers and the, and, the, and the others sit back specifically at home, sit back and just absorb um, the opposition's sort of attack forwards. Um, that being said, you know I think Brest really perhaps should have. Should have got a point uh, yesterday. I certainly would not have begrudged them a point. I thought in the second half, really, like I said um, on on Twitter overnight, um, it really did look like you know they were you know battling an OM team on the ropes like a sort of punch drunk boxer. Um, and you saw, I think, around the 70, 75 minute mark where they had that offside goal where Charbonnier 
that's an absolute set. They really, they really did pull sort of their feet on the proverbial neck, uh, so to speak. Um, that being said, obviously, uh, you know, OM have not played a match for four weeks. They've, they've not played any friendlies. They've been unable um, to sharpen um, themselves in the same way that other te- other teams who are now in the second competitive match have. Um, and you know, these things are will come into play. Obviously, a lot of the players are not going to not going on international breaks. Some are, um, and then PSG is next. Um, so I think OM really need to settle for the first sort of three to four games and really build up that um, physicality and, and, and match sharpness. Um, and I think personally, in looking at that, obviously OM could have scored four, five or six, um, you know, in, in one hand, had it not been for a myriad of issues such as the VAR, the referee, um, Radonjic as well. Um, you know, it could have, it could have been a real, um, you know, big victory. That being said, um, I think, Obviously, considering the circumstances that have uh, have preceded this match, I thought that was a very good for OM and uh, um, really good to see um, some progress um, amongst the team. So you were yeah, relieved but, that Brest actually played. I was relieved, absolutely. I was relieved um, that that is, um, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't expect for them to come at us so hard, and mm. so fast. No, I mean, did. they did drop off at two 0 and then that's to be expected. But really, towards the end of the first half. And then midway through the second period, I mean, you could, you could, you know, if it didn't look like OM were the bigger team in terms of quality. And that being said, I mean, it's very, very good. Obviously, they've they've lost. I mean, they lost four 0 last weekend. They've they've also suffered defeat yesterday. But it's that sort of mentality um, and sort of fearlessness that you know can really bring them points uh, this season. Obviously, they have to adapt mm. their approach um, depending on you know the opposition that they'll face. But well, yeah, not to be afraid. Really. I mean, like you say, maybe yeah. they'll have to adapt. Maybe that's what they did yesterday. Maybe they knew that OM would would not be as match fit, had a lot of absent players, and had kind of a truncated yeah. preparation, and thought, you know, maybe we can get these guys physically. Yeah, I think if you played, sorry, if you played this match in four weeks, I think it would probably be a really different outcome. I just mm-hmm. think without Payet and holding that really high line, maybe they felt sort of more emboldened, and then also like. They just didn't have the same sort of energy in their pressing that we saw from OM all of last year. That was just their pressing was so intense and so on point. And it just didn't really exist as much in that breast game. And I imagine that's probably just a function of not having played a lot, not being yeah. fully fit yet. Yeah, but a good advertisement for, for Ligue 1, like you guys say. Um, and that's something we might talk about a little bit later, too. Um, let's move on to uh, another game from this week, guys. Uh, Lyon beat Dijon 4-1 for their first uh, Ligue 1 match of the season. That was on Friday in Lyon. And uh, Kale, the, the hero from this game was Memphis Depay. Yeah. I mean, is it is it kind of typical that Memphis Depay was the hero and he's maybe now going to be sold during the window? Does that feel like a very <laughs> Memphis Depay thing to do? I don't know, because yeah, I... we keep on saying Memphis Depay is going to be sold. I mean, we've heard that for, you know, two or three years now, maybe. But maybe this is the time, and and I'll look silly saying this, but I think after the match he hinted that in an interview that that might be the case. But that is true, yeah. Yeah, I mean he's a fantastic talent, and I think he's been. It was really unfortunate that he got injured last season because I think before his injury he was he was Lyon's best player, and he hasn't shown really. He showed a little bit of rust in in the Champions League, but that's not. I don't think he's really playing in his best position or in sort of his best system. And I think in this match, it was just sort of typical Memphis, like put him out there and and he can do serious damage. He's a really good player, a really good forward. And, you know, I hope for the league that Lyon is able to hold on to him, but I kind of expect that this was a little bit of a performance potentially for the transfer market. Um, This just hit me, but Memphis, both his penalties came in off the woodwork. Yeah, so he he had a hat trick, but you know for you know fine margins he will. Have I, I was about to say, was that you yeah. know, in terms of ha- as far as hat tricks go, that seems like a real gifted and slightly lucky one that he got there. I think I think it was quite I think it was quite both, yeah, but more lucky than the other one mm. because it's still the... two 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 penalty shots that go. As I go in off the post and in off the bar. I mean, if they hit the post, they say, oh, unlucky, or oh, he missed. 
and uh, you know, with uh, with all the some kind of pressure he's on, he's he shouldn't be missing penalties. Uh, but uh, you know, he did he did score them. But uh, had he missed uh, uh, one of them or both, uh, things would have been quite different. But you know, I mean, uh, good good for him. He got a hat trick. That's uh, that's fine. And I mean, then also his other goal was. I mean, really? the defending was was kind of ball watching from from Dijon, and the fourth Lyon goal was an was from a Memphis cross again, but an own goal. So that also, although that's you know unlucky for Dijon, it's also kind of a gift. But but do you guys think that you know even though we can kind of say well you know Dijon did a lot of work for Lyon, what what qualities did did we see from from Lyon in this match? I I saw that the pie was. Quite uh, was not really. I, I was. I'm gonna say non-existent until the equalizer because we didn't see much of him. Uh, Dijon scored from from uh, a half chance and a very well taken goal by Scheidler. I think his name is. Yeah. A uh, new a new guy. Um, so he 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 has a shot. It's blocked by Marcelo or or Denayer, I think. And then he has a second shot and he beats Lopez. Lopez, I mean, it's absolutely clinical. Uh, Lopez can't get anywhere near it. And then it's the Maxwell Corne show. Every single ball goes on the left-hand side and he tries to cross it. And after maybe five to 10 attempts, he manages to, to cross some something half decent. And then he earns a penalty. And then Lyon uh, come in and score uh, two goals in quick succession. In quick succession. After that, and uh, and there you, and there you go, but but before that penalty, I mean, Dijon were, were quite uh, the resolute, you know, defensive like you know like like we talked about Brest a, a couple of minutes ago. I mean, they were basically Z side uh, sitting in front of the goalkeeper and not doing much, not wanting to do much, saying, okay, we're one 0 up at the group uh, the Groupama Stadium. It, it's good enough for us. Even a draw is great, uh, given that they uh, what. Did they uh, I think lost, they lost as well. Yeah, they lost at home to Angers, yeah, one uh, nil. And uh, and but then this this happens. But but Lyon really uh, didn't didn't trouble uh, the uh, the Dijon uh, the Dijon backlines that much. And uh, and we didn't we didn't see much of Depay or Dembele because you know there's a defending. I mean it was almost like the, the centre backs were, were the four backs were playing were playing like the centre backs. They were playing really really tight. Were almost like four centre backs. Extremely negative uh, play from Dijon, but then what and, and that's probably why so much of of Lyon's attack came from from the wings. I mean, like you say, Cojonet getting so many crosses, mm. although they weren't very efficient. But you know, a lot of the goals came from the wings too. The stuff that Memphis created, or um, or that uh, uh, that dribble which was kind of widely shared. Of uh, uh, from Ren um, uh, Cherki, who kind of mm-hmm. you know came in from the side and and then put a great pass into Cornet, who uh, didn't have a really good day and and blasted it into was it a throw in or something? I mean, it was a terrible miss. But anyways, with his, it was a wrong foot, I think, if I remember correctly. No, I think it was a good foot. His left. No, I know, but he should have taken it with his right. Oh, I mean, but he's a left. His right. He would he would have had yeah. more chance of scoring in, into an empty net. Well, who knows? <laughs> well, yeah, I know, I know but uh, you know, taking it on the left foot would would be. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't. I mean, of course, it's it's very easy to say that when you're not playing, you're not on the pitch and just watching. But uh, it it seems very hard to to strike it with your left when it's coming so uh, so quickly on on the right hand side. Or maybe that's just me. Well, on a Friday evening in Ligue 1, the stakes are too low for um, Maxwell Cornet. The story. Um. Okay, let's call that part one. Welcome to part two of the GFFN show. Uh, to start in this part, uh, we're going to introduce, uh, we're going to do a little segment every week introducing you to some of the brilliant idioms of the French language related to uh, football, uh, which we will explain to you. Um, the phrase for today, which I have unilaterally chosen is not actually a football specific expression, but it's often heard from the mouths of French athletes or sports commentators. Uh, and that phrase is être au septième ciel. Uh, Philippe, do you know why I chose this? Um, because you just got back from the Alps. I don't oh, know. That, that's a brilliant reason too, but that's not what I was thinking. So être au septième ciel, uh, word for word in English, that is 
to be in the seventh sky, although it's ciel in the sense of heaven, more like so to be in the seventh mm -hmm. heaven, uh, and uh, which uh, basically means to be very happy. I mean, it comes from uh, you know in a, in in a Christian belief that uh, there are seven levels of heaven and and God lives on the seventh, and so you know it doesn't get any better than being up there with Him, um, and. Uh, I chose this phrase because seven is the uh, number of uh, of uh, Champions League titles that the Lyon women's team now has won uh, all in the past decade, which is an absolutely incredible achievement. And and I think that phrase uh, describes probably what they were feeling last night after beating uh, Wolfsburg and what they still feel today, I'm sure. Uh, an astonishing achievement, really. Uh, from from that team five in a row as you've probably heard is the same as uh, Real Madrid uh, me the men's team from Real Madrid did uh, back in the 50s and 60s when when the Champions League was first created uh, so congratulations to them always a fun team to watch uh, I think unfortunately none of us watched that match last night I'm slightly embarrassed to say I would I would have loved to but I didn't get to. Um, I watched the first half. Oh, all right. Well, what second did you think? half was Brest Marseille. Sorry, I mean, mm. uh, men's football do do take precedence sometimes. Even though it was a Champions League final, but Lyon were two 0 up, and uh, you know they looked well in control. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so let's move on now and uh, kind of open the floor up to here to our uh, contributors, so that they can share something from the weekend uh, with the rest of us. You know, an opinion they have. Uh, an interesting fact or, or or story they picked up on uh, this weekend. Uh, why don't we start with you, Mo? What have you got for us? Um, yeah, so I think sort of one thing that I've found particularly interesting is sort of the early form of some of the teams. And they seem to be in sort of reverse order where the teams that one may have expected to sort of kick on who started who finished last season in a stronger position um, have floundered early on. I'm talking about in particular uh, Rams, who who've only got one point um, from the first two. They found out the mm -hmm. the Europa League opponents today, um, which is uh, Serbia Genève. Yeah, exactly, um, of Switzerland. Um, but they were a bit insipid against uh, Lille um, yesterday uh, on Sunday, um, and you know they gave up a two 0 lead at Monaco last week. Obviously, they have faced uh, two slightly difficult teams um, in their opener, but that's something that didn't stop them last year, if you remember, uh, picking up some very, very important early uh, victories that led them on their way to be able to finish in that fantastic Europa League position. Uh, Montpellier obviously are COVID-affected, but they also uh, fell to uh, defeat at, at Rennes um, and, you know, after Mollet's uh, red card, that sort of set itself there. Um, and in particular, you have on the flip side, Sanity and looked pretty good in the uh, Coupe de France final. Um, and they've continued that with a strong um, start. They beat Angers. Um, and obviously with all the off-field issues that are going on there, in particular with Stefan Ruffier and whether Claude Puel is um, you know, leading sort of a dictatorship um, <laughs> at the club. They've, they've really started very, very cohesive. And Hamoume in particular looked fantastic after he, he dropped off a little bit, I think we can safely say. Um, last season, and obviously, you know, where where off the field troubles lie, Bordeaux um, are second. Um, you know, they've you know we're under. Obviously, we spoke I think in the in a couple of weeks ago where uh, Gasset has obviously got a very fantastic reputation at clubs, um, and he's led them to four points in the first two games. Um, and you know, they were I think you can safely say a dumpster fire. So the fact that they're up there, having not conceded the goal. Um, with San Etienne and obviously PSG haven't played the only teams to have not conceded uh, whatsoever. I think that's a fantastic Philip and obviously, who knows? I mean, I think we've some of us, uh, I obviously put myself in that category, um, put them in, you know, maybe in a low half of them in terms of season. But so far, so good for them. I have a question regarding Grasse. Uh, does anyone, anyone think that they, sh well, first of all, does anyone think that they, sh that they should be playing... Um... Uh, they will progress to the Europa League group stages, and will that be a good thing for the club this season? I'm having a serious doubt given what they've offered. Well, I think um, 
I mean, I don't, I don't know if they will progress because they have three rounds of, of preliminaries. So, yeah. I mean, against Servet, they should be able to. Vojvodinia um, next. Who? Vojvodinia from uh, Serbia. Ooh, okay. Um, that's the side they're going to face if they beat uh, Geneva. I, I can't say I'm too familiar with them. Um, and then the third round, you know, the level will probably get even harder. Yeah. So I, I don't know if they will make it, but I, I know what your point is that, you know, with a lot of matches, things will get harder. And I think to some extent that's true because I have noticed in the past couple of seasons, Reims struggle uh, with three week with three match weeks. Um, but, you know, I, I'm sure they're, I mean... For a club like Hans to be back in Europe playing the Europa League, um, the excitement and and uh, you know it, I don't know how, how to say it, but they just can't. It, it has to be a good thing, even if they underperform in the league because of it. Um, it'll it'll be incredibly exciting, and I've been thinking it, it's a shame that uh, you know, it, well, assuming the 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 limit on fans doesn't increase between now and and the group stage, if they do make it to the group stage. It's a shame that after 57 years, they'd be back in Europe and, and so few fans would be able to to go see them play. Um, but yeah, the season has started not well, so well. The game's supposed to be held against Geneva. Is it's it, in Geneva. It's in... Oh, right. Wow. Yeah. Not shame. And it's going to be uh, supposedly behind closed doors. Um, I, I mean, if you say so, I don't know. No, no I'm, I'm asking. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Actually, apart from... I think in Belgium they're uh, having uh, fans back a bit. I think it's mm. two thousand or three thousand. In Holland there's zero. In Germany it's they're not planning on letting anyone in anytime soon. In England I don't know. Uh, honestly, apart from France with, with this five thousand, I mean we're I'm, uh, probably going to talk about it in a minute. Uh, I have no idea uh, how many fans. What's the regulation? Mm, yeah, I, I don't. I think it also depends on UEFA. Possibly because I know the uh, the Nations League match um, France Croatia, which is here in Paris yeah. next week, uh, is going to be behind closed doors, from what I understand. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I I don't know what the situation will be for for the Geneva match. Um, but like you say, I, I know that's that's what you want to talk to us about is attendances in Ligue 1, Philippe. So why don't you go ahead? Yeah, I, I uh, was um, watching um, the uh, first half. So it was a multiplex, uh, so new new uh, uh, timetable of the whole uh, French uh, French first division. Of course, we all absolutely thrilled about that. A multiplex <laughs> that was started at three local time, ended at five. And one of those games was Metzmer versus Monaco, and uh, there was it, it wasn't the stands behind behind the goal, but rather the stand. Uh, doing the the whole length of the pitch, and it was almost full. And France has a five thousand limits on funds they can uh, they can uh, authorize inside uh, the ground. And I actually knew someone who was at the game who was attending it because he posted on Twitter. I said, uh, "Well, can you send me pictures because it looks like uh, the the, uh, the ground is is almost is not half full, but you know it, it's it's almost full." So he gave he, he sent me a picture. Of that stand that was almost full, and and on the opposite side, as the opposite stand where the cameras are, uh, of course the stand was empty, so that the cameras don't show uh, the the empty seats, which you know is, is fair enough. And I asked him, this, I mean, there has to be more than five thousand in there. And he said, yeah, that's possible. So I don't know. I didn't. I wasn't able to um, get attendance figures, be it on Soccerway or Lekeep. Or I, I actually didn't, didn't, didn't you know, uh, search it very thoroughly. But I mean, I, I think uh, what what I what I think is happening is that, is that um, uh, players don't officialize the figures because I think they're, they're letting more people in than they're allowed to. Um, that's interesting. Uh, in Liki here it says for Mess the there was four thousand four hundred mm. uh, sixty three. So that's a number that's been communicated to them. Um, uh, it's interesting that you bring that up. I mean, I feel like it would be difficult to to uh, lie about it. I mean, when you sell tickets for a match, that leaves a paper trail, right? I know. Um, I know. But again, uh, that's just my feeling of of that uh, of my viewing and that my the yeah. messages I had with 
with uh, with a guy who was uh, who was at the game, and uh, it really felt like much more than five thousand. Mm. Well, one thing for sure is that um, some some clubs have packed all the fans into one stand, and some have you know kind of opened several stands to spread out the five thousand, which, and... which they're not supposed to be doing. I mean, with social distancing, you're supposed to leave two seats between each person. Yeah, and when I when I watched, uh, I also watched a bit of Caen versus. Uh, I think it was Ajaccio, and you had the cop, uh, Malherbe Normandie cop, so the car ultras, mm. and you know they were all stacked together, just like as if as if there was no pandemic going around. <laughs> so it was a bit, yeah. you know, it's. Uh, I mean, you, you, we we. I mean, the, the government and you know the the powers that be, if you will, are giving you the opportunity to go to go and just you know respect it for for the time being mm -hmm. because some 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 ultra organizations like the collective ultra paris of paris saint germain are saying we 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 don't go to ground because we won't be able to support the site uh, as uh, as we see fit mm. and well, some on, on, will say no we will still we're still going to 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 have all the flares and the chants and all that uh, without respecting their social distancing rules uh, that's mm. a shame even though normandy of course is not as much hit as paris or marseille or you know, the East, uh, but, you know, it's a shame. Since you bring this topic up, I will, say, yeah, I, I will say to any fans listening in France or anybody planning to, to travel to France for whatever reason, that this year, if you want to go watch football, I mean, it's going to be hard to get tickets for Ligue 1 because it's limited numbers. And, you know, it's also kind of, like you say, it's uh, difficult to organize and so on. Uh, so this is an excellent year to go watch other football in France, uh, whether it's women's football, whether it's lower divisions. Uh, you know, there's plenty of, of fun clubs to go see. And, and that's what my plan is is going to be this season, really. Um, and uh, that's just, uh, yeah, that's a tip for anybody who wants to see football in France live in person uh, in the next months or even year. Um, Kale, uh and now for something completely different, why don't you uh, tell us about uh, what you wanted to talk about today? I just wanted to touch on for a minute uh, Didier Deschamps' uh, choices for the uh, yes. French side that he'll be taking to play against, I believe it's Croatia and Sweden. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think a couple of fun and interesting names he included in this round. And uh, Dio Upamecano, of course, is in, in defense. And then Hussam Awar was supposed to be in, but he's tested positive for coronavirus, and so he's been replaced by Nabil Fekir. And uh, Eduardo Camavinga included, which I think is pretty exciting. And uh, I think Deschamps came out today and said that he's hoping to get him in to play some minutes against uh, one of Sweden or Croatia. So that's pretty cool, given he's only 17. And then some sort of older hands, and I was sort of curious to get everyone's feedback on this i i personally was a little bit disappointed to see steven nzanzi and musa suzoko and even ngolo kante in, included again i was hoping maybe that he'd mix that midfield up a little bit more but i don't know how everyone else Ooh, controversial i would i would have felt uh, uh rabio would have been the guy who would have been mentioned because those those three guys <laughs> did additional store wars so i mean it doesn't really surprise me they're not they're not great they're not uh Wonderful footballers, but uh, he did he did call up for Usain until he got the uh, the um, the COVID. So uh, it just doesn't surprise me. It's just he's got his guys. It's like uh, it's like he it's almost like he he's going to uh, to call them up and whatever whatever the form they may be in. I just feel like we're yeah. living in this moment where like when I look around, you know, the one thing I see is just this glut of talented midfielders, especially defensive midfielders. And I just feel like, why not give one of like? Does Steven and Zunzi have to be there? I, I don't know if he's really done a whole lot over the last two years. That means that he's got to be in this these two matches against Sweden and Croatia. I think I, I just love to see a, someone younger get a, a little bit of a turn. Well, I think Deschamps, you know, he's thinking about the Euro. There's not that many matches between now and then, but there's you know obviously more than if it had been played last summer and. While he is willing to try some new things, he also wants to, uh, um, you know, make sure that the players who are likely to be at the Euro are fit well into the system, that they know what to do for the French team. And 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 Zonzi is a guy who hasn't played much for France, even though he's been in the squad for a while. 
um and and you know is is someone who could seriously uh you know who can be called upon uh, in a, in a in a high stakes match uh in case of absences and obviously now that Matuidi is gone there's uh there's another spot for midfielders in there uh with Pogba out this time around Enzonzi is kind of the is probably the starter and you want to make sure that you know he's getting game time for France um and uh, and you know playing with with the other guys um but i think you know there's a lot of novelty in, in in this squad already though i mean the guys you brought up kale but like philippe said as well habio is is uh is a uh, that that was a big surprise no doubt um to see him back in there of course uh, if if we're going to talk about uh, what's uh, what's been happening in the country since Deschamps and beyond the, the list it's been uh, well you're coming back to Rabiot despite him being uh, uh, having misbehaved a couple of years ago yeah. so what about Benzema well it's just su- it's just such a, this is why I don't really that we talk about this because every single time uh, Deshaun Vier's the list is there's no Benzema yeah I know I just don't understand that he's not going to be to be called called up ever again under Deschamps and uh, it's just it's just the media especially the keep Going over and over this uh, this question, surely calling back. Why is he calling calling him back? And it's just we just have no answer, no more answer uh, than we have this time around and last time around. Yeah, and I know. Just, and just that's so why I don't like when you live in the country. It's just so frustrating hearing it all. It's the exact same thing. I mean, I'm not a fan of international football. I'm definitely not a fan of international breaks. They're absolutely, uh, absolutely boring. And but you know, it's just it just makes things worse, especially mm. this Nations League, who we don't really need because. The players are going to have to, especially the Premiership players, the La Liga players, the Serie A players, they're going to have to play loads and loads of games. And they're doing international breaks and they're playing the season as if um, as if everything is as normal, which it isn't because they're going to, get, they're going to be absolutely knackered and then they're going to have to play the Euros and uh, the, the, the quality of the players is probably not going to be great. I mean, it's just, it's just stupid. It's just well, silly. On that note, uh, we will have a podcast next week on the France matches and we'll have a special guest too. It will be a fun podcast, even though Philippe doesn't like international football, which I can uh, forgive him for. Um, <laughs> um, but I agree, the Benzema debate, I mean, I don't, I don't want to bring that up because it's just tiring. And, and I think, you know, Deschamps has the right to to call up whoever he likes and because he's proven himself and he's gotten results and it's not, you know, Benzema's a good player, but we, if we don't need him, we don't need him. Um, all right. Uh, let's move on now and do uh, a little uh, something uh, which y- you may remember during lockdown. Uh, there was a player's podcast on GFFN where we, we kind of talked about uh, one specific player and, and explained his story and so on. Uh, we're going to do a, a briefer version of these every week now. We'll just spend five minutes, you know, talking a little bit about uh, the profile of a, of a certain young player, um, and this week uh, we've picked Jonathan Bamba. Who uh, Kale Bamba has scored uh, two goals in his first two matches in the Ligue 1 this season. Uh, both pretty good goals, really, against against Rennes and Reims. Um, that's one more than he scored in all of last season. Do you think this is going to be a good season for Bamba? Yeah, I hope so. I, I think last season. Uh, he got a little bit unlucky. Like I think he was still doing a lot of things right. You know, I think Bamba is the guy that always seems to go a little bit under the radar at Lille. You know, in his first season, that was the year that uh, Nicolas Pepe and um, Raphael Leao and Nicone sort of burst onto the scene. And and Bamba had a really good year. I think he had he had 13 goals that that year and three assists and. It's not that people didn't know he was having a good year. He just didn't sort of garner the same amount of attention as obviously as Pepe who ended up going for a lot of money. And then last year, I thought he also had a solid year. But again, he fell under the radar with Osimen and uh, and Renato Sanch. And obviously, he didn't score a lot. But he does so much work off the ball for that team. And he does so much of the extra running that a lot of those guys in the front four don't really want to do. And he also does just tons and tons of defending. Like he is such a good defensive forward slash midfielder, and I think Galchier knows that he can count on him, and that's why he's in the squad every single week. So it was really nice to see him 
get off the mark early this season, get two goals, sort of put that behind him, and hopefully he can just keep progressing and keep adding to his total like he did two years ago. It's true that you mentioned that he gets maybe less attention than some of his teammates, even though the thing is we've we've actually known him for a few years now. And, and Mo, you know, what memories do you keep of his time back at, at Saint-Étienne and at uh, Angers? Yeah, no, he was he was an exciting winner. I mean, as as he is obviously right now, but back then, there was just there had there was you know a bit of electricity. Was you know very very pacey, you know very attack minded, um, very potent. Whereas you, you know in in twenty eighteen nineteen, you know that that sort of really was taken to the next level um, in and amongst um, you know that little side that managed to finish second. But last year, I think you know the numbers didn't quite add up. The, the cohesion wasn't quite there. Um, you know, I think, well, for large periods of the season where he just didn't seem to connect, I remember specifically um, a a poor sort of late autumn period and, and just after Christmas as well, though he did sort of perk up towards the end um, of what well, was the truncated league season. Um, it's, you know, it's I, 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 I don't understand exactly what were the issues last year where his returns really were that poor. Maybe he was missing Pepe too much. Maybe the the, the communication and the consensus that he built uh, with that front three, um, you know, did a number on him essentially. But um, you know, I think well, this season. Oh, sorry, you were saying. Well, maybe it has to do to. I think last summer he he picked up an injury um, at the. I think it was the U twenty one Euro mm. um, in the match against England. Um, and that that kind of uh, meant that he missed all of preseason, and you know maybe that had something to do too with. with... Perhaps though he did he did start the season, um, you mm. know, playing most of every game. I think up until Christmas he might have missed one or two games, if I can remember correctly. But the goal return was just so yeah. short. I mean, Lin in general, obviously they were they were in difficulty um, for 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 a while. You know, hovering in between sort of fifth sixth place. For, for long swathes, but um, I don't know. This season, I think they'll expect a bit more from him um, because, you know, Ozimhen has now moved on. Um, for me, essentially, Jonathan David has, hasn't looked as, as um, exciting yet um, as maybe one had imagined, obviously, given the fast start of Ozimhen the season before. Um, and Baraki Omaz, you know, gives, they're hardly going to sort of mold him into sort of uh, a talisman. Um, so I think more will be expected from Bamba to really drive forward, um, really drive forward, um, you know, you know, the side and, and really take responsibility. And it's good to see him sort of step up in what's been a very uh, display this season so far. Yeah, he really rescued them. Not to talk too much about this season, but he really rescued them in mm. those first two matches. Like they mm. really weren't producing much of anything at all. And, and his two goals were really nice goals. And, Maybe he shouldn't have scored them statistically, but he did, and and so he he saved those two games for them. I think I think there are a lot of parallels already in this Lille side that you can draw to how they started last season, and just that I don't think Galchez fully figured out how he's supposed to use these new players, and obviously this is a, this has sort of become a common trend now at Lille, given how much player trading Campos does. But you know. I, Looking at last season, it took him almost half what turned out had to be half the year to get the team going. And then they finished really strongly, I thought, but they were really not very great to start. And I think you're kind of seeing that again this year. And you just are you have to wonder, is it going to take him another 10, 12 matches to find the best personnel in the best positions? And if it is, do they have any chance of getting into Europe and what I think is going to be a much, much more competitive top five six yeah um he's certainly a fun player on, on his day to watch um i remember uh i i went to Lille one time and and they had there was a match on so I, I went to see it um which was two years ago in that good really good season where they finished second um it was Lille saint-etienne and i believed he, i believe he scored two goals in a 3-1 win both of which were quite similar to the two goals that he's uh scored so far this season so that's kind of a a, a special finish of his i think uh let's move on now to part three uh and, and in this part uh we're going to talk a little bit uh about a, 
a certain topic every week, talk in depth about it. Um, and uh, we're going to start this week with the new TV deal uh, for the domestic TV deal for uh, Ligue 1 and Ligue 2, which has seen uh, a Spanish company called Media Pro take 80% of Ligue 1 matches. Uh, they now show on a, a new channel in France called Telefoot, uh, which uh, has been slightly difficult to subscribe to for some people. Uh, Philippe, you are a football follower in France who has subscribed to Telefoot. Can you explain for those of us who, who don't have it or who live outside of France, how that has affected your experience of, of watching Ligue 1? Uh, 10 euros a month. That's how it's affected everyone. It's basically uh, when when Media, Media Pro basically came came over and said we're going to buy French football and uh, we're going to show only French football and it's going to cost you 25 euros a month and everybody said absolutely no way, <laughs> no way that anyone is paying 25 euros to watch uh, Dijon versus Metz. So no, no offense to those teams, but you know mm -hmm. the game that's not really worth uh, watching on paper, of course. And then they had this uh, entente with um, RMC Sport, who has the rights for the Champions League for this season. So basically, uh, with RMC Sport, if you pay 10 euros more, you get all of Ligue 1, so you get 80% of the game. You don't only get Ligue 1, you get Ligue 2 as well. Uh, so they've got 80% of Ligue 1, 80% of Ligue 2. Uh, the rest of the games go to Canal Plus and, um, and Bean Sport, uh, respectively. And uh, actually, yeah, it's, it's actually got to quite a good team. Team together, they um, they paid a lot of money to get the pundits from uh, from uh, other channels, from the comp competition actually, uh, mainly being sport. There are a lot of uh, of guys who were who weren't being sport were now at uh, at Telefoot, and um, the whole thing that's changed really is that uh, the multiplex now is not going to be on a Saturday evening at eight as it usually is. It's now going to be uh, as I mentioned. Um, uh, a couple of minutes ago, uh, it's going to be on a Sunday at three. So, yeah. so just to clarify, the yeah. multiplex is is you know traditionally in France on a Sunday evening you have several matches at the same time. You know, six, the last seven, few years yeah. it was it was five or six at a time. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it was it was more, and that was kind of a, a staple of Saturday evenings in France for I think several decades now, and yeah. that has now moved to a smaller number of matches. On a Sunday at uh, 3 p.m. Well, I don't know how, how old you are, Pepe, but when I first got, I mean, when I first got interested into football, uh, the, the multiplex was already on a Saturday evening. Yeah, it was 98. It, it's it's okay. quite old, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> so it it changes a lot, um, and uh, so you you basically have one game at one, a couple of games at three. Uh, that's all on Telefoot. Then one game at five. That's on Canal Plus, and the final game at nine. Which was West Marseille last uh, last night, and of course you didn't have you didn't have a, a 5 p.m. kickoff because uh, PSG thought it was uh, too hard on the players to uh, send their reserves to play at Lens for the game. <laughs> <of Spurs. laughs> um, so yeah, so so like you say, uh, that's four kickoff times on a Sunday, which is also yeah. a, a novelty. Um, you really want to. Yeah, you really need to, to, to love French football to go to, to yeah. top to bottom because it, we were, we're talking about uh, we're talking about uh, starting watching at one o'clock and ending it at eleven p.m. Mm -hmm. so, ten, so, ten hours of just a two-hour break, something like that. Yeah, uh, that that is a long day if you if you want to watch a, everything. That's a, long, that's a long Sunday. I, I don't know if I would recommend watching every league match on a Sunday, but um, <laughs> yeah. So so Mo and Kale, uh, you guys don't live in France; you live in 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 the UK and Canada, respectively. Um, how do you think this, you know, changed Ligue 1 schedule is going to, uh, uh, you, know, you know, comparing it to the times of other leagues, uh, is that going to increase availability of Ligue 1 on international television or, or is it going to put it more in competition with other leagues? Perhaps. Um, I've, I mean, in particular, I think the having the Sunday, Saturday night, Marquee game follows sort of Spain and Italy. Um, you know, Germany does not have a have a have a late game on Saturday, nor does England. And England does not have any weekend evening games if they're not on the Friday night. And even that was a, a recent introduction. So, I mean, I think we safely can assume that the Sunday night is still the marquee game, and Saturday will be the second, and Friday's the third. And I think 
you know, judging from the early scheduling, we can see that it's more likely going to be Marseille um, more more often than not on Sunday night. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain used to play a lot on the Saturday afternoon, um, which certainly wasn't broadcast in the UK at all uh, whatsoever, who mm. will now play on that Saturday evening 8pm game with Lyon and other sort of associated ties um, on that Friday. Um, and it also helps given the Asian uh, sort of focus at the 1pm uh, early game as mm. well. So I can see why they've um, why they've sort of broken up that. And also, I guess, in the multiplex games, it might be easier, I mean, on paper, to get fans in through the door Sunday afternoon than it is on a cold Saturday. Um, or, mm. You know, it sort of might be a more leisurely act um, at, a, at a more respectable time on a Sunday afternoon. Mm. That being said, I mean, I, I think mm. that's not really enough. I mean, you can play the games in one back bracket if you want. I mean, <laughs> it still depends on the quality and also... The, the imports in the league, but it's it's a good it's a good start. I mean, like I said, um, you know, the Saturday afternoon games which PSG featured in quite heavily were not available at all in the UK because of the uh, the blackout uh, rule. Um, so there you go. I mean, people rarely saw PSG outside of the Champions League in in the UK. Um, so that's already yeah. one one job done. Um, and, and, as, and as a grandpa, if I may, uh, as a grandpa, I mean, I, I go to. Uh... Uh, to quite a lot of grounds uh, all over the country, and uh, it really doesn't have the same. Uh, the weekend really changes if you do it on a Sunday, uh, on a Saturday, and if you do it on a Sunday. You do it on a Saturday. I mean, it's the start of the weekend. You you do whatever you have to do, and then you got the Sunday to to recover from it or recover. I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> to 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 rest basically. Uh, that's what Sundays are supposed to be for. Um, so I really. I really can't, couldn't see myself going all the way to Angers or Dijon or Monaco uh, on a Sunday. I mean, it really is different uh, to, to me, to me personally. Uh, so th- this this TV deal really uh, feels to me like it's uh, benefiting, uh, basically, uh, of course, the uh, the Asian market and uh, and the people watching it from the box. But I I think it takes a lot of courage. And the goodwill for someone to, to go to. I mean, France is a big country, and there's a it's a, it's a big big place that extremely. I mean, far far apart from each other. So it would take a very uh, very brave fan to 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 go all the way to the other end of the country and then start start working the next day. Mm. That's my yeah. That's an interesting perspective. Um, I just want to go back on you know something that you were saying, Mo about the marquee game, which is another kind of French television tradition, is that, you know, the big game of the weekend is Saturday night, uh, Sunday night, 9 p.m. And now there's a 9 p.m. game on Sunday, but also on, on the Saturday. And I think, I imagine the reason for, for the change that they did to put, you know, another big game on a Saturday and move the multiplex is that uh, because of Champions League, oftentimes the bigger clubs were not playing in that, in that big Sunday night match. I mean, if you look at the last couple of seasons, at least maybe, Going back further, Marseille yeah, played a lot on Sunday evening because they weren't in the Champions League, and PSG, which is you know who you want to have for the prime time spot. But, but it was. Producer. But it's also the case uh, during the Europa League games that the Europa League teams will play mm-hmm. Sunday. I mean, Ren at the yeah. time, you know, teams like Ren and Sunday would play a lot on the Sunday afternoon, uh, four to like four p.m., five p.m. games, and then you'd have. Uh, Marseille or some of the derbies or all the top 10 protected um, so the big match of the season on that Sunday fixture. I think it will help particularly on that Saturday because you know PSG and Lyon having been obviously you know very regular Champions League uh, participants have have almost uniquely um, pre-Champions League and post-Champions League have played on that Friday Saturday Mm. um, games which can be in rather awkward sort of transmission at times in terms of viewership so Having that Saturday evening game in its, you know, in its own time slot will help. Um, absolutely. Mm. And just to look at it from one more angle, Kale, I know you've you've worked on this, but uh, financially, what does this new deal mean for the clubs? I mean, it's a huge boon financially. Media Pro coming in, I think it, you know, it definitely puts them up more closely to I think where they'd want to be I mean obviously they're not making the same money as the Premier League but I, I believe this deal puts them above the Bundesliga especially because their deal mm-hmm. went down and uh, above Serie A for the moment although that could change soon 
So it, in terms of a moneymaker, it's enormous. And I think that's why that's why you're seeing such a change in the multiplex and also why you're seeing, we'll call them more primetime games on every single night of the weekend. I think if we want to look at sort of a corollary, you can take a look at what they've done in the Liga, which is, you know, they signed their new deal and they introduced sort of staggered starts every day so that you can, uh, you know, hypothetically watch almost every single match on television because you're sort of playing football all day long. Now, obviously some crossover, but they've worked really hard to make that a thing that is, you know, television uh, appropriate or television safe. And honestly, it's a sad thing for fans that go to the game. And I think it's something that football really has to wrestle with on maybe a more existential level, this idea between what what's the value of fans in the stands and putting the games at times that are convenient for them and what's the value of putting them in the schedule at a time that makes sense, especially these days when, look, Ligue 1, the revenue in Ligue 1, over 50% of it is going to come from this new broadcast deal. So for the league to turn around and say to Mediapro, like, sorry, uh, we're not going to move those games around. We're not going to give you the three primetimes games. It's just not realistic. It's not going to happen. This is where the money is coming from predominantly, and it's not coming from ticket sales. You know, ticket sales generate almost the lowest amount of money on a balance sheet for, for most league teams would make more through merchandising and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I I think that sort of sort of bare capitalist answer is probably why you're seeing this let's let's get a primetime game every evening and why I think it'll continue and why I would even suspect that you might see even more sort of partition between games and and more staggering as they try and bring in more people to the product and create uh, sort of more eyeballs throughout the whole day. I I don't think that's going to change. I think it could potentially, let's say, get worse. To open a can of worms, but I believe that this new deal was the main reason why the clubs agreed to the government's proposal to end the league, uh, to uh, cancel it, so that they could uh, uh, resume ASAP, ASAP being August 22nd, when... Most of the other leagues uh, haven't resumed. They'll resume after the international break. They'll start resume. The season will start after the international break uh, because clubs would get media pro money faster than if they had finished the season with Canal Plus and Bean. Then they would have had the uh, the break, and then they would have started again in September, October. Mm. And I reckon that they were much more comfortable seeing that it was what an uh, 60 percent increase. Is that it? Something like that, yeah. I mean, m- massive, absolutely massive. And saying, okay, well, what's <laughs> what's the alternative? Do we get, do do we say no to uh, to a sixty percent increase in July, or do we wait until October? Mm. I think the clubs. I mean, most clubs are, are really not well managed. I mean, really, really not. There, there is money uh, to to pay the wages. There is money to to do the um, the training facilities and, and the academy. And lo- loads of academies are doing a fantastic job. I'm looking at Saint Etienne at Lyon. Um, at uh, I can think I think I think Nice have a couple of uh, decent youngsters too, uh, Monaco, Rennes, I I don't know, but there is loads and loads of money, but it's just not spent the right way. And when when the clubs learned that they were going to get such a raid, they said, okay, uh, this season we can write it off, doesn't matter. Except of course, Mr. Olasco wasn't particularly happy not to have you. Well. You know, not to not to <laughs> get too deep into it, but like the. Yeah. What this deal offers, Lyon, hopefully, or what I think a lot of owners and even managers and people around around the game were hoping is that this would offer a lifeline away from the business model that most clubs have, right? Which is develop youngsters, bring them through, sell them on, and the transfer fee basically covers off the losses because mm-hmm. every team in Lyon is making exactly. losses, right? Yeah. So this idea that if we can get a bigger broadcast deal, maybe we don't have to sell as many young players. We can hold on to our talent a little bit longer. You know, we can look at a different financial model to the one that we've been using for the last, you know, whatever, 10 years or so. So there's a, there's a, there's an incentive behind this and, and maybe the payoff to, Mm. you know, having sort of stranger game times is, Hey, maybe we get to hold on to these young players a little longer. I don't think mm-hmm. we're going to see that this season or maybe next season because of coronavirus, but maybe over the long term that becomes a reality. 
Well, not no. not to get too cynical on you, Kale, again, but um, you know, I don't know. I don't think that the the transfers and the selling model would go away no matter what the conditions are, simply because the 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 quantity of money involved in those transfers and the potential for individuals to make money off of them, you know, whether it's commissions or whatever, uh, means that there will always be people with an incentive to make those transfers happen. And I mean, this is kind of a, like I say, I'm, I'm a bit cynical about this stuff, but I, you know, I've, even in the Premier League where they have tons of revenue. You just can't see the sending. Yeah. Even in the Premier League where they have a possible. Yeah. You still have kind of weird transfers and, and, and yeah, I, I don't know about that really. I think that's, yeah, I think that's your talent. That's, it's just can't it just can't go away mm. because like, people still go to, to schools and academies and stuff and they'll get nurtured by the by the big clubs and then uh, they'll then they'll start playing when they're 17 16 years old i mean i i honestly hope that liga will give usage chance because it that's one thing that you cannot fault them fault it for is it always gives usage yeah. chance which does not happen in in the english premiership because because uh because this this is this so much so much talent already on the pitch yeah but liga what they can do with this is the, okay the issue again again maybe too bogged down here but the major <laughs> issue that liga has that other top 4 the other top 5 leagues don't have as much prior to this deal was that the drop off between making europe and not making europe was so precipitous because the amount of money that you made in your broadcast revenue was not nearly enough to cover what you were going to make in Europe. Like, for example, Lyon missing out on Europe, that's literally 50% of their revenue. So you can kiss goodbye 50% of what they earned last season, which is why Olas didn't want the season to end, right? Mm. So if you don't have these deals that close that gap a little bit more, you end up with situations like you had in Marseille, which is, okay, we're gunning for European football, we make European football, okay, we're spending to hold on to European football, and then we miss out on European football, and you're in an absolutely untenable financial situation, yeah. right? So I'm not totally defending how they're playing these games or even totally defending the deal. I'm just saying that you have to find a way to close that gap a bit because it was too damaging, I think, for clubs. Same thing happened in Lille, right? Too damaging for clubs that were playing that yo-yo game between Europe and and the domestic league. So that was a bit of a of a a bit of a Leeds United scenario, wasn't it? Where basically they were they they were banking on on Champions League money, but once they didn't get it, it all fell apart. Yeah, I, mean, I, I just can't see that happening thing. at Lyon. But you know, if mm-hmm. well, Lyon are, are a well-run teams. club, but. Uh, let me ask you guys one more question before we call it a day. Um, do we have a sense whether uh, these past two weeks where Ligue 1 was the only major league to be playing, uh, do we have a sense that, you know, people who don't normally watch Ligue 1 watched it this time and, and it got more attention than, than it usually would? Not quite. going to say from, no. From what I can see. Um, that's okay. only because of the, um, only because of the sort of sense of football fatigue. Um, there's been this year, this month, particularly with obviously the Champions League yeah. and Europa League final eight. They really have sort of the only sort of participating league uh, that the Bundesliga probably had in 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 May. Um, oh, sorry, yeah, in May. Um, and uh, obviously Serie A finished later than than the rest. Um, so it doesn't really, ha- it, you know, it hasn't really, um, you know, had its really is, you know, it's. Be, been the only sort of thing on TV. Obviously, had to contend the first week with the Champions League final on either side of two French teams. Um, so um, yeah, I don't. I don't think there've there's been um, sort of that sort of window where they could really showcase Liga. And obviously, I think there've been some sort of casual, um, but not 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 sort of to that great extent. I think also that window is because obviously after international break, the same weekend the, the Premier League will, will return. So. Um, yeah, unfortunately, that is obviously what is. Yeah, yeah. I think they also got hurt by the COVID cases, right? Like to for OM to not be able to play on uh, their opening that opening night. That would have been probably a nice banner fixture to have to lead off with, with you know, not a lot of football going on. And then the fact that PSG didn't play this week also a big opportunity missed, in my opinion. Can you tell us actually what the uh, the uh, 
there was a picture is of uh, you know uh, people watching football in football in Canada is uh it's pretty thin i mean it's yeah. <laughs> it's more popular in uh quebec for sure it's less oh. popular in english canada i think yeah. the good news for you know if um if people want to you know have something to look forward to i think the fact that you've got players like timothy Weah from the u.s mm-hmm. in liga i think that's a good thing for that market more people paying attention and then i think the fact that Jonathan David, who's Canadian, is playing at Lille. You know that that game actually that was that would normally be on BN was picked up by a separate Canadian broadcaster. The Lille game, so you know that's maybe potentially a good sign for for Ligue in Canada. Cross my fingers. Obviously, Canadian football is is dominated by Thierry Henry, who's the manager of, of Montreal. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Um, well, that's all from from us today. Um, that was a nice chat there about the about the TV deal. Uh, we'll be back next week during the international break. France plays Sweden and Croatia. We mentioned that. Uh, we'll have a special guest. Uh, he's a, he's a historian. That's all I'll say for now. Um, in the meantime, there's there's a lot of exciting stuff uh, from GFN that you can check out. There was an interview with the, the CEO of OGC Nice, uh, uh, Bob Radcliffe, um, which was a uh, which is on the website, which. Uh, you could go check out. That was a very interesting read for sure. We didn't talk much about Nice this time around, but but that's uh, something you can have a look at if you want to know more about them. Um, yeah, we'll be back next week. Thank you all for listening.